Welcome back to the Dakota Town Hall podcast. This is Murdoch. I appreciate you guys listening to this. Uh, if you are joining this episode for the first time, uh, Dakota Town Hall is a podcast about Western South Dakota politics. We started this in the primary season of 2020, not knowing uh, that COVID was going to be a thing when we started. Um, but we got a little lucky in that instance because we've had a lot of access to candidates and topics. Um, this season during the general election, we're talking to as many candidates and we're talking to both pros and cons of every issue that we can talk about, including both cannabis laws and the sports betting laws. Um, today we have on the show District 32 House candidate, Democratic candidate, I believe, yes, uh, Tony Diamond. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to speak with you. Well, let's start with an uh, opening statement slash why are you running? The reason why I am running is because I believe that if anybody wants to be part of a change or be a part of any kind of action, you need to get involved. And I champion that everywhere I go. I tell people, you know, to be a part of something, you have to get involved. And if you don't get involved, you can't be a part of the change and you don't have a right to make an opinion. So that's why I jumped into the race um, to... One, stand up for the LGBTQ rights, but also just for for everything that I see that's happening in South Dakota right now. I really believe that I can bring positive change. Okay. Well, I've got a handful of questions here that we ask every candidate. I do reserve the right to have some follow-ups if those, something comes to mind, but nothing that I think would be uh, any sort of gotcha question. And I do try to make sure I interview any opposition with the same type of follow-up, just so everybody that's listening understands this is kind of an Evans-Stevens philosophy here. But Okay. So let's just start with something that South Dakotans greatly care about, although maybe a little less so in District 32, as it is more moderate of the districts in Western South Dakota, where would you want to put a position, if any, on the Second Amendment? Second Amendment? I'd, I'm all for it. I believe everybody has the right to to own weapons and bear, bear arms. I don't think, I think, you know, all we can do is really safeguard people, make sure people are safe. You know, I don't believe criminal, people with criminal activity should be allowed to um, if they have a felony on the record, should be allowed to bear arms. And um, I believe that just making sure we have good, understandable laws and regulations in place to safeguard people, I have no reason why any law-abiding citizens, I don't believe the law-abiding citizen shouldn't be allowed to carry arms. I would. I served in the military, served in the Marines for eight years, Um Trained to fight, trained to shoot a weapon. I believe everyone has the right to defend themselves. Um, I don't own a gun personally, but I am not opposed to owning one. Sure. I think it's, you know, what's interesting about this question is if I, it's a little bit phrased to take the politics out of it, right? Which is a hard thing to do in an election year. And I understand that. Almost every Republican and Democrat gives me the same damn answer. Everyone's got their, and that's a South Dakota Democrat, certainly. Okay. We, I don't think we get to, I, I, I'm, this is a little bit of point of this show is to remind everybody from time to time, especially two weeks out from the election, or eight days out from the election now at this point, um, there are a lot of things that we generally get along on, and it isn't maybe as divisive as we think. Right. And I don't mean that as a kumbaya a hug. Again, it's an election year. I want some partisanship a little bit, but that's generally the answer 
within reason that everybody gives. We should be able to carry guns. It's in the Constitution. We should have the right to protect ourselves, but also kids are dying. Right. True. And But I, get, I agree. This is an issue that both parties, and I don't think it should be limited to, to a, like a party thing. All people should be able to agree on this one way or another. Um, I, I agree is, I think, a hard one because, because I, especially with something like Second Amendment. Second Amendment is such a polarizing... You got to tiptoe into it so much. You can't. You can't necessarily tiptoe back out of it. It's usually filled with no pun intended landmines. Right. You know? It is. Um, okay. Let's let's talk. Let's go to COVID. Let's go to the elephant in the room. So, like, I, here's how I kind of phrase this question: What do you What do you like about the state's response to COVID? And then what? It, what would you, if it was your state, maybe change differently? I think our response has been very, very lax. Personally, I think we should have been more assertive in saying people need to be wearing masks to protect everyone in the in the general public. I work in healthcare. I've seen the effects of COVID firsthand on on families. Families that aren't allowed to come see their loved ones as they're dying and I'm having to hold a loved one's hand because they're not allowed to come see them. And I believe my personal belief is if we had had stricter guidelines in place as for a state we could have probably lifted our restrictions or be in a lot safer space right now. Currently right now. Currently right now. Do you, so may I, if you don't mind me asking a follow up on this, would you, would you be more in the lane of a, ma- of a mandatory mask, uh, an enforced mask policy? Yes, I would okay. be. Understanding that I think maybe, especially in the Republican party, that's a difficult, sorry for my phone there. It's a difficult position um, for Republicans to be in, I think, because it, just the realities of public opinion in our state and our current administration. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm, I mean, this is a follow up. I do. Right. That's an unpopular opinion, I think, in this state. It is an unpopular opinion. Um, and but I stand with what I say. I would believe that if we have strict if we had mandatory mask for everyone, it would help eliminate some of the, the arguments and the fights that we're already having. People are saying, well, why do I have to wear one? And it, it's an option. Well, if we took the option off the table and say you had to do it, then there wouldn't be an argument and people would comply and follow the rules and, and everybody would be safe. And and there wouldn't have to be... At least safer, safer. I think, would be your argument. Definitely okay. safer. That's correct. Um, all right. Well, what would you keep? What's the state doing right? I believe the state is getting involved. I, you know, they're they've you know, by helping the schools get prepared to when they to when the, before they opened up to have the some of the resources they need. I think we could have done more. Um, healthcare facilities, you know, following the the DOH um, guidelines have implemented strict guidelines where they're, um, the facility I worked at was doing two COVID tests a week on its employees and staff to make sure that we're not bringing COVID into those facilities, limiting, you know, interaction with families. Um, but I think, yeah, I totally lost train of thought where I was Well, going. I'm just, my, my, I like, I don't, I, I'm trying to make this as, 
less binary as possible. So when I ask, I think, it's easy to ask a Democrat, what don't you like about the state's reaction to COVID? And it's uh, the harder question to answer to me is, what do you like about the state's response to COVID? I like that they given, it is, it's nice to say that they've given people the option to choose. I like that there are some businesses, you know, um, restaurants and, and local facilities that have the option to require guests who wear masks. Um, I like the fact that they have that option. Um, I don't know what all they're doing individually to make sure they're protecting their guests and the safety of their guests, though. You know, how often sure. are they cleaning the tables and wiping down everything and the, the menus and stuff. But um, it's nice to know that you have an option, but I think still sometimes you have to have a rule in place to make sure everybody's safe and because not everybody's going to follow the rule unless there is a rule. Right. Um, okay. We have three ballot measures on uh, the block this year. Let's talk about the first two. Initiated Measure 26 is uh, the initiated measure to legalize medical use for marijuana. And then Constitutional Amendment A is a recreational use. Do you have a position one way or the other on either of those? I would vote yes for both of those. Medical, definitely. I see the benefit of it. My mother died of cancer, and she was on all kinds of pain medications, very anti-drug person, but when all the other options were expended and they offered her med- medicinal marijuana to use, her comfort and her pain level was greatly reduced. So I'm all for medicinal use. As far as recreational and growing it, I think it would definitely add income to our state and help boost the economy. Uh, but I believe I'd want to make sure that we have the right legislation and regulations in place before we go ahead and say yes to something like that. I'd want to make sure that all our T's are crossed and I's are dotted to make sure that there are no loopholes for people to get through and be able to use it illegally or in a way that's going to cause harm to our citizens in our state. Sure. They just, uh, Kello and Argus Leader just did a poll. Medical's currently polling at, I want to say over 70. And I think recreational is polling i mean it's neck and neck you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's 49 49 or 48 49 it's real close one way or the other i think maybe too close to call at this point um it seems like politicians are now that the water is a little clear sure breaking their hips to come on in and 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 not be so against this a little bit I could, yeah, you could argue that. I would, I don't, I can't speak for the other candidates and for even for the parties, but my personal opinion on it is I've seen the value of it. I've seen, you know, the the fight to keep it out. I understand the fight. Um, we want to make sure that it's not going to be abused. But you, if you look at, I mean, we'd have prohibition on, on alcohol and cigarettes and limiting people to, you know, as far as like even cigarettes, there's the advertisement they have to use on this, this, you know, the danger of using a cigarette, Mm -hmm. you know, the tobacco companies have to put all that out there. So I think as long as we're educating our public onto the pros and cons and making sure they are fully informed, they get to make that, that decision, 
not being having it be enforced on them one way or another. Let's true. Let's yeah. Let's transition to Amendment B. Um, this is the sports betting. Uh, amendment that which would, uh, for those of you just joining us, and maybe you didn't know this was on the docket, uh, Constitutional Amendment B legalizes sports betting in Deadwood and on-reservation tribal casinos. Do you have a position on Amendment B one way or the other and why? I voted yes for that, and I don't have a position really yes or, you know, against it or for it. It's it's something that people do, and I'm sure they're doing it illegally now, so let's just make it legal and have it be profitable to the state. Again, making sure we have the proper rules and regulations and everything to back it up and making sure it's not being abused. And um, But let's use it to benefit our communities and our state and our schools and our hospitals, then that's what I would say. All right. Um, according to a 2019 report published in U.S. News and World Report, South Dakota has an interesting education ranking. We rank well at number 10 in the nation for higher education, but rank 23rd for K through 12. What's the, what does South Dakota in, in the legislature specifically need to do to improve that K through 12 ranking? I believe we really need to sit down with our teachers and find out what they need. One of the interesting things I've found in doing my door-to-door canvassing, practicing social distance and wearing a mask, um, is I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of teachers and all these teachers saying they do not have the supplies and the tools and the resources they need to properly teach our students or the students they're teaching. So hearing stories of teachers having to buy for and pay for stuff out of their own pocket and not mm-hmm. having a budget to be able to, to or the tools to to properly teach students, I think that's our focus has to be how can we better equip the teachers, give them all the tools they need to be able to do their jobs. And people keep saying, well, where's the money going to come from? Well, I, I, it was actually going to be my next follow-up if you don't mind me saying so. No, I, I, I could see it in your eyes. Um, th- I think the answer to that is we need to boost our economy. And I know that's a question that's coming up too. If we boost our economy, that's where our taxes come from. Um, from all the business that's generated in you know, the state, that's the taxes that come into the state are that's how we pay for education and for healthcare and for Medicaid and the things that we need. I believe if we help increase the, our economy, and to do so, we need to look at other options, things that we haven't even looked at. Why don't we? Why haven't we looked into solar energy, or wind farms? I mean. We have abundance of sun and wind in this state. Why aren't we tapping into those natural resources and using them to our benefit? Um, Passing legislation that's going to make it easier and wanting to draw those kind of businesses in. Also, what are we doing to attract business? Are we offering tax incentives or tax breaks for people who are starting businesses here for the first year? These are things that we should be looking into. How do we attract business to South Dakota so that that helps that in turn helps pays pave the way to pay for everything else that that we need? Then, as long as we're on the money, and you've got a, a kind of a business uh, answer to an education question, what? And this is a bit general, of course, but like, so you're in charge of the budget, okay? It's Tony's budget, okay? And for whatever reason, Governor Nome takes out a magic wand, goes pop. Now it's your checkbook. What gets increased? What needs decreasing, if any? 
Uh, my first thing would be to do a, a very thorough review of the current budget. Look at how monies are being spent. Are we putting money where it needs to be? If it's not being used per se where it needs to be, then let's look at rerouting it to where it needs to go. That's an artful dodge, if you don't mind me saying I, so. Well, I'm new to, le- you know, this is my first time running, so I can't really say for sure, but I mean, I I've actually, run a business. I greatly appreciate that answer. Okay. I mean, I do. I mean, I, one of the things that I think campaigning is, if we can just go off script for a second, is it's always about let's examine the budget and like, and to me that's it. It, it, it is a dodge of an answer because there are appropriators and peer who are in the legislature and the Senate who are who who are great at it, and it's really complicated and it's really hard. I think it is okay for a candidate to walk in the first time and not know exactly how all the appropriations is made. I think it is not okay for us to treat everybody like an idiot who can't just admit. Because if I pull a thousand people in the state of South Dakota right now and tell me, tell me how the money works in Pierre, 980, 995 of them are going to be 100% wrong. Four of those five who might be a little bit right are still only a little bit right. Right. So, I mean, you could be at ease with that answer, I think. Well, and but I it want, does make me want to force you to general categories of what ne- what generally needs more money in the state right now. Education is definitely one that needs it. Healthcare is another one that needs that. And I would also say um, um, the VA, however, as a veteran, also, I'm going, I know going through trying to get an appointment, sometimes it's a month or two months out just to get seen. You know, how are we equipping social services? Social services, I would think, would, would be my number three. So, you know, education, healthcare. And social services. I Those pre- are three I, big areas. I appreciate that. I appreciate you hanging in with me to give me some specifics. Um, all right. Let's go a little bit healthcare here for a while. Let's, let's, this is a national question that state legislators necessarily can't do much about, but it's a position that I feel the electorate has a care about one way or the other. So, do you want to weigh in on a position on Medicaid expansion? I believe it's inevitable. So how do we? Nobody's answered it that way before. <laughs> I don't mean that as a as a as <laughs> nobody nobody's given me the well. You know, it's coming no matter what. I believe it's inevitable. I and it's instead of trying to fight it and say it's not going to happen. I mean, it's kind of like change happens. Things are going to happen, and we either get on board and and work with it to benefit us, or we get run over. Right. So it's going to happen. I believe that. So how do we work to make it benefit everybody? I do not want to see anybody's taxes increased. And that's, I guess, the biggest fear everybody says, well, it's got to be paid for somehow. Mm-hmm. So how do we do it without increasing taxes? And again, that we're, would be we're looking at how all our dollars are spent in the budget and seeing if there's more money that can be routed towards towards that area. Okay. Um, let's go to specifically district 32 for a second. So district 32 is, uh, is certainly a more, I think a moderate leaning district here in rapid city. Um, although I think it gets painted as one specific area of a district and it's really a lot bigger than people realize. So what are the specific district 32 issues after you've been canvassing with your folks to, to tell you that you need to go to peer and work on? I think Education is one of the things I keep hearing over and over again as I go doing the door-to-door and talking to local businesses. It's like 
getting them help, you know, to be able to survive during this COVID time and to give them the, you know, help them to be able to be more profitable themselves and be able to take care of their, their employees. So I would say just going downtown, you see so many empty storefronts and that breaks my heart. It's like, why don't they, why aren't they all full? And the reason is, well, you know, they don't have the money or the capital to do so. And because of COVID, they had to shut their doors and were not able to sustain themselves or their employees. So now they had to close. That was their only option. We need to be looking at, okay, this may or this, something like this is going to happen again. So how are we going to be better equipped to handle it in the future? Do, do we have an emergency relief fund that's set up for local businesses that can aid them? Um, are we fully tapping into the federal government to get the assistance and resources that we need from them that are available to be able to help our businesses? Sure. We need to be pro, more proactive in helping them than putting the work on them to get the help that they need. We need to be there knocking on their doors saying, hey, how can we help you? I'll also say this too, um, and, and this is partially just for an honest broker read here. Um, we this, this podcast is in part sponsored by Elevate Rapid City, um, and I do think they have some great programs, and that's not necessarily on a state and federal level. That is a Rapid City level. But I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to the audience that's listening, not necessarily to give them a plug, but to actually give them a plug because they do have some of these programs. They and, do. And uh, I think we need some more. good data, interesting new data programs as well. I, and I agree. I think Elevate Rapid City is something that was homegrown here. And that's what we need to be encouraging more of. These are, this is something that I think it started here and it's local businesses working together. They come together and now they're working to better our community. Well, Let's take a look at what they've done. Can we mirror that in other cities in our in our state to make this even more helping everybody, not just Rapid City? Sure. Um, so this is something I specifically asked to candidates who have a portion of their district in that is inside of Pennington County. Okay. So the homelessness is, is a topic that is, uh, increasingly becoming a topic of conversation, I should say, is the way to probably phrase that. Um, the number of homeless people in Rapid City is growing, uh, not just this year, but also this year, but over the years. Um, some feel this is tied to mental health. Some feel this is tied to a lot of other things. I, I, I generally ask it just as a, not as a question, but as a topic. What, what would be your, here's some things we should do, and here's some things we should be mindful of? The homeless community is, uh, is an area that is dear to my heart. I've been down near the, the Rapid Creek in in. in and had the opportunity to to talk to some of these people, um, handing out food and giving them jackets and blankets and stuff, and just asking them, how did you, you know, for those that were willing to be open and honest, it's like, why, how did you end up here? Sure. Um, and some of it does have to do with mental health, and other of it has to do with domestic abuse at home, and they didn't have any place else to go. And, and I asked them, you know, it's like, well, what can we do? to help you. And one of the things that they repeatedly say is they need, if there were more shelters available. And I know we have a few that are operating and most of those are at capacity and doing everything that they can. Is there anything else that we can do? 
I would, again, go back to what are the root causes of the homelessness? Okay, so if it's mental abuse, what are we doing to help our, our, our the mental, those that are ha struggling mentally in our community? You know, are there facilities available, programs available that can help them? If not, we need to be looking at that to be proactive. As far as domestic abuse, okay, we have um, a couple organizations in town that reach out and help domestic abuse people. Um, are they properly equipped to do it? You know, do they have the funding they need to to meet the needs of the community? And right now, I don't believe they do. Uh, if you asked all of them, they would say, yeah, we could definitely use more money because then we could reach more people. Sure. So. Although, to be fair, I think if you asked every organization, that would be their same that's answer. That's probably true. Probably true. But, you know, it's like, what are we doing as a, as a community to, to help reach these people? Right now, we've, we've been placed an incredible burden upon the Rapid City Police Department to create a social services department within their own agency to be reaching out to the people. So, I mean, the police are having to learn more and more different tasks and skills to mm -hmm. be able to do their jobs where are we fully utilizing them to the best of their capabilities. They're not trained social workers. Do we train them to be social workers? I mean, or do we just find more ways to bring more social services agencies to Rapid City to help in the homelessness? I think that's an ongoing, I think that's a good answer. Um, I, I think it's an, I think it's ongoing. Obviously, I don't, I think, I think people tend to want to think of these types of issues as a hundred yard dash. And I just think it's a, it's, I mean, it's a meandering river. Right. There's not a finish line that you just cross. No, it's going to it's it, it's going to be like a marathon. You mean you're you have to pace yourself and there's things you have to do along the way and prepare yourself to be to ready to run that race. So I think we can't look for an easy short-term solution. It's something that's going to take the city working together, the police department working together and all the agencies working together. It's like, okay, here's what the here's where we see the, and identify the issues and how do we work together them to fix those things and it's going to be a community thing I, mean, I will I'll, I'll add to that a little if I can help your answer a bit um, it, I, I can guarantee you it won't be solved on social media mm -mm. I agree I don't think social media is the answer uh, I, I think the social media can be a tool to help but right now I think that the discussion of it all largely exists in comment threads and that's not helpful to I guess any inch of the fiber of our fabric for me I personally believe it's a face-to-face -face meeting. Mm -hmm. And I also believe anything like that needs to be open to the public so that the public doesn't feel like things are being worked on behind their backs or, you know, they're not being involved in the decision-making process because the, it affects the public. I hear that. I, and, I, you know, I, I feel like this is a fair counter. <clears throat> Boy, I, I've been hearing that for issue after issue after issue after issue. And Every time I bring that up to a politician who is currently in office, their answer 100% of the time, no kidding, has been, we had six hearings, we sent out 100 emails, we sent out calls, we sent out mailers, we did everything, we, we sent out Facebook posts, we did radio ads, we did interviews, what else do you want me to do? That is a fair answer to every politician who has ever given it to me. Fair and if those, my, my answer to that is, if those aren't working, why not? Why, why is the public not willing to engage? I, I, I don't have an answer to that either, but I do believe that is a, a more accurate um, answer through the form of a question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and that's where I would want to get more 
involved. I think for me, a lot of the, in, in doing the door-to-door canvassing, people are asking, well, what candidate do you represent? And I said, I am the candidate. They go, you're out here representing yourself. It's like, the face-to-face, I think, is what helps. Um, Rapid City has the Cracker Barrels, yep. and I've been to many of those, and I think that's a great tool. I think we need to be doing more of that. It's and, why we do virtual versions of them, for sure. So and I appreciate what them. you guys are doing, because yeah. it does make it, you know, it gives the public some kind of access to... There's going to be X amount of people who only want to be involved if they can do it at home in their underwear. I understand that. Well, and my challenge to our... The Rapid City, are the people in Rapid City, if you want to see change, don't just talk about it. Give me your ideas, get out and get involved, because it's not going to happen unless you get involved. Let's, um, you know, I I think... I, I, you know, it's, it's been reported in the news and you're pretty open about it. And so I think it's an, it's a, it's a good place to maybe after we've gone through some of the, um, issues of where you stand and everything, I'd love to be able to talk about your transition. Are you the first openly transitioned candidate for a state district in South Dakota? I am the first trans transgender person running for a state office in South Dakota. Yes. There must be a lot of, um, I mean, that's, that's a that's part of the reason I wanted to do this interview, honestly, because that's a that's an interesting road that you're paving. I think it's a polarizing road that you're paving to some people. I think it's um, and I mean polarizing in probably every sense of the word. I, um, I what is your what is what has been? Let's start here. What has been the citizens of thirty twos? Do they do they care? Do they not care? Are you the trans candidate? Or are you the Democratic candidate? Or are you both? Or are you neither? I'm both. I would say. Um... Amazing. I will. I have to say personally, I've been quite surprised with the level of acceptance and support that I've received as a transgender candidate running for office. I have not had one negative smear campaign towards me or a personal attack. Um, I do think both of your um, uh, can the candidates who you're running against, I, I, I feel like they've had a high level of respect about this all. I think all of your, I think all of the candidates have had a high level of respect for each other. I do believe so. I haven't had, I haven't seen any of that, that mudslinging happening. Um, I've spoken with Chris Jensen. I've also, um, talked to Becky Drury on occasion and very good conversations, very open and civil sure. conversations. So I believe, you know, when I get elected that I'll, you know, be able to work with them to, you know, if I have to do to make change. Um, my, the reason, I mean, it's like, I'm, I don't say this, but I'm 52 years old. I started my transition at 50. Um, it's something I've wrestled with my entire life, trying to, to within my identity. Yeah. And, I mean, I've been through conversion therapy and everything. I won't go into all of it, but in in the end, I could not deny who I am. This is who I am. And so I began my transition at the age of 50, and I believe and feel that I am a woman, and I will stand by that. Um, um, our government agrees. I've, all my legal documentation has been changed to show that I'm female, that I am a woman, and that I have every right as a woman. So, and being accepted, I mean, I work at 
the regional airport and deal with hundreds of people every day and never had one. Well, I can't say that I've had a couple negative comments, but of the hundreds of people that I deal with, I've been widely welcome. I work in healthcare and I deal with families and patients and everyone accepting and loving and supportive of who I am. And, and so I'm very, for somebody who lives in a very, well, lives in a conservative area, I'm very pleased with the acceptance I have had from the people here. And well, that is my follow-up, you know, is like just reading the, you know, statistical reality of South Dakota and even more specifically Western South Dakota. We're, we're one of the brightest, reddest conservative areas in the state. And the, I mean, there are candidates out here who, who push trans legislation, you know, um, and that's not, this, this isn't a question worded at you against them. I just, I, it's, I don't even know if this is a question, I guess. It's refreshing to hear that the reaction has been so as positive as it has because it would be easy to, from afar, just assume that the state would be like, get out of here. <laughs> well, and if, if, they are, if there are people that are, are feeling that way, they haven't personally said it towards me. So sure. I'm thankful for that. Um, I don't do it because I'm looking for glory or trying to make history. I'm doing it because I believe every person has the right to be represented, and I want to be that voice at our state capitol to be able to represent all people, not just one segment of society. Well, we didn't do necessarily do this at the beginning, and I usually do, so I want to go back to it a bit. Um, give us your bio a little bit. Give us your give us your qualifications. Give us your resume. Okay, I am a Marine veteran. Served in. Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Um, Thank you for your service, by th- the way. You're welcome. It was an honor to serve. Um, I'm a grandmother. I'm a mother. I've got two grandchildren. One I haven't even seen yet because of COVID. Sure. And I can't wait to hug that little guy's neck. Um, um, work in healthcare. I've worked in just about every industry there is. Um, served as a missionary and worked in Africa for six years. No kidding. Yeah, I loved living over there and working with people. Um, I have a heart for people and doing whatever I can to help make anybody's life better. Um, my my philosophy is if I can make one person's life better, then then what I've done is is worth it. And that's how I feel about life. You know, do everything to better yourself, but it also to make it so other people have don't have to go through the struggles that you have to. Um, grew up in a single family home. Um, my mom raised three children by herself. So my heart goes out to single parents, mm-hmm. uh, whoever they are. I mean, it's, it's a struggle. And so I believe in working hard. Every position I've had in life from being a CEO to owning my own business to whatever, I've had to start at the bottom and work my way up to it. Nothing's ever been given to me. And I believe in if you work hard and you believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing, then then you're going to accomplish and you're going to achieve great things. But it takes the work, somebody willing to do the work. And I'm, I'm that's what I'm here for. I'm willing to work and work hard for not just for myself, but for the people of this city, for this city and this state. Her name is Tony Diamond. She's running for District 32 House. Uh, she is against Chris Johnson and Becky Drury. We still have to interview Chris, so we've already interviewed Becky. Uh, we hope you guys listen to all three and uh, pick the two that you feel uh, resonate with you the best. Um, if you do like this podcast, please give us a like. Please give us a share. Spread the word about it a little bit. Um, we're very excited about it.
about these episodes that we're posting up. Uh, and you can listen to more of them. You can uh, see more at homesliceaudio.com or just search Dakota Town Hall in your favorite podcast player. And thank you so much and good luck in the race this year. Thank you very much for this time. All right. We'll see you guys next time.